And hello and welcome to Consumer Choice Radio, broadcasting across North America and right there in your pocket. Thanks to our podcast that you can subscribe to and follow. I'm one half of your host, Yael Osaski, checking in from Mitteleuropa. And uh, I got David Clement on the line. Uh, he's coming in from Toronto, Ontario. There's a bunch of stuff that's changing in the world, David. I'm happy to uh, be able to talk to you about it. Yeah, yeah. Lots to talk about. Lots to talk about. Um, both sides of the border, actually. I don't know. Where do you want to start? Where do you want well, to Well, let's start? not even start with the border. Um, let's, let's go with the ocean border. Uh, let's talk about the UK quickly, because this just came in uh, this week um, on Friday. Big shakeup. Uh, you had the conservative government yes. under the leadership of Liz Truss, which has been aiming to implement these reforms um, to basically cut taxes, try to cut a little bit of spending while doing a little bit of quantitative easing. And uh, the chancellor of the exchequer, uh, essentially the uh, minister of finance, uh, he's out and pushed out. And uh, he's been replaced by a lad known as Jeremy Hunt who's sort of up in the uh, UK conservative upper echelons. None of that is important in terms of the personalities. Uh, I just think this is a mistake yeah. of the UK conservatives because they had a plan. There obviously was always going to be opposition to it, and they capitulated. Mm-hmm. And they backtracked on the top tax rate cut, which I know we alluded to before, but there, I mean... <sighs> The people who oppose this are like, well, the rich have to pay their fair share. And uh, I think I don't know if I mentioned this before. If I'm repeating myself, I apologize. But Andrew Coyne, Canadian columnist, went through the British numbers the last time they cut the top uh, income tax rate. And the share of total income taxes paid by that group actually went up. So they paid more of the they, – they covered more of the pie of the, like, the general purse after the tax cut. So it's just, it's one of those things where it's like, hey, I mean, if you need someone to frame this better for the public, I'm right here. You can pay me. I'll do it. I will gladly. I will, Welcome to Thunderdome. I will gladly help you frame these policies appropriately. Because that's the, the... I think that's, the. you're right. And there's always going to be a constant opposition. And this is why I find it's very... It's very rich, if I'm able to use that term, that you have a lot of the major media establishment, some of the financial establishment, who are just saying, oh, these are terrible policies, terrible policies. It didn't matter who would be there. They would be totally against it. And it's not as if there's any alternative that these groups have. And what the UK had hoped to do is actually very different from what is being done in Canada, what is being done in the US. Mm -hmm. And I think as people who've studied this stuff and have lived through a couple of these booms and busts, uh, I thought it would have been a very good idea to see it implemented. But, you know, they bowed to the political pressure, to the public pressure. Uh, probably they were doom scrolling on the Twitters a bit too much, like you find yourself doing, David, or myself. And yeah, they didn't follow through. So that, that's the only comment I had on that. It's, it's unfortunate. You always want to see, like in the case of COVID, whatever happened with lockdowns, we had an example of Sweden. We at least had an example that you could compare. But in this current scenario, we don't really have a good comparison because everybody seems to be doing poorly together, which ironically is inflation. We all just yeah. get poor. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
I mean, the, for Canada, the inflation debate is like, I don't know, I, I tweeted about this. Essentially, a lot of the people whom I take very seriously um, in terms of like the housing market foresee a serious um, crunch because at very low interest rates, people really over levered themselves. So you'd have <clears throat> people who, let's say, bought uh, they overextended themselves at a million dollar mortgage and they could afford the mortgage payments at 3,500 bucks a month. And now they're 5,200 bucks a month and potentially going up again. And it's like, where do you come up with an extra two grand a month? If you don't have it, or you get distress sales and then you have like a fire sale of homes. Um, that's one of the scenarios that people are talking about. Another one is anyone who owns second properties um, because they're kind of caught in this jam, right? They, they bought and let's say they rent and they were renting at rates um, to cover what the mortgage payment was, not what the mortgage payment is now. And they don't have the ability to just increase the rent um, month to month. It doesn't work like that. Um, so they're stuck now eating the bill and it's like, okay, well, at what point do they stop losing money and start, selling um and a bunch of people really made bad decisions i mean getting a, a a second private mortgage to cover the down payment because you assume that the home value is going to go up 20 to 30 percent rather quickly and then you can refinance and take that money out um so yeah not uh not good not a good look um and what you mentioned th this is like probably 98% of uh, real estate social media hype. Yeah. You know, these guys that are always talking about, we're flipping homes. Take this and you do the deposit and you put it, put that money down. Now we have eight properties, you know, hoping that they can all do Airbnbs and all of this. But once, once those rates uh, kick up and you got to pay more every single month, like you're either going to have to be booking people you know, in hourly slots in your Airbnb <laughs> or well, and you uh, can't even, your price. you can't in Toronto, you can't even have a secondary unit as an Airbnb. Like if you're a homeowner in Toronto and you buy a condo, you're not technically allowed to put that on Airbnb. Um, it's just not uh, possible um, to crack down on that pretty hard, which I think is silly. But Time now. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So like, potentially some big housing crisis rates are going to keep going up um good time for for me not to own because uh, i don't <laughs> good time for me not to own and not to have um any serious debt obligations um like other some other young people our age um <laughs> i'm not really affected by the rate increase like it doesn't affect my car loan and i don't really have any other loans so but I'm seeing it in real time. There are a lot of people who, I mean, in COVID, let's say, got a line of credit to renovate a house. And then the cost of that line of credit just skyrocketed over two years. And now it's like, oh, okay, what do we do? You can't even sell the home because you're not going to get what the home value was plus your home renovation. <laughs> It's just, it's it's a it's a bad. Uh, in the words of our good friend Bernie Sanders, it's a strange world out there. It's a strange world out there. <laughs> I think what is more interesting to me is that you know we talk about a lot of these economic issues because they impact consumers, they impact you, the listener, and 
a lot of the measures that are being taken by some of these renegade governments like the UK. I'm seeing all of this opining now on the central banks and what the rate should be. And we even saw um, Arbe, um, Kathy Wood. Oh, yeah. She penned a letter to the, I think, just straight to the Fed, just posted that thing, being like, hey, these rate hikes are hurting the market and our customers, and blah, <laughs> which I agree. I don't hold any of those funds anymore, um, thankfully. But, <laughs> you know, she was saying, oh, this is so bad. And, well, the kind of argument against this stuff is I, 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 li- I tend to take the Austrian approach of rejecting the idea that there is an ideal interest rate. There should just be a market interest rate of what the market decides yeah, the, based on the price of money. And the, and the actual cost or the actual price of lending and borrowing. And unfortunately, everyone has it in their heads that I think because of the way the media analyzes this, they say, well, uh, obviously the hikes, this is not a good idea. They shouldn't do that. They shouldn't, they shouldn't be putting them up there. It's like, well, technically, if we were in a market scenario, those rates would probably be double. Oh, they, yeah, they so, would be much, they would have been much higher. They never would have got that low. They were artificially low for a long time. And I mean, this is. And this is, um, this is my segue to talking about uh, what's happening in Canada because uh, there's been a lot of rumblings about uh, the opposition leader, Guy Poiliev, mm-hmm. friend of the show, um, who has, you know, had the gall to criticize the central bank governor. And, you know, for all the for keeping rates so low and not really knowing what's going on and just, you know, allowing the government to continually spend more and more money. And this is seen as some undemocratic attack on institutions that just cannot stand, which I just find absolutely ridiculous and just shows that, you know, this is a a full pas when realistically, of course, there should be criticism at the central bank, not because what they're doing is wrong or they're going in the right direction. They just assume they have all the information. They should just stop well, acting. And there's like also it. no ownership. And I've said this a couple of times, but like it was in July of 2020. Tiff Macklin, Macklin says, if you're going to buy a house or invest in a business or take on any large purchase that requires debt, you can rest assured that interest rates are going to stay low for a very long time. Fast forward, oh. fast forward two years. And so, and I, I, I want to write something about this at some point because just think about the economic distortion that one comment has. That one comment from the guy pulling the strings saying, don't worry, guys, they're going to stay low for a long time. Okay, so you refinance, you renovate your home, you buy a new car, you in- insert any large purchase, you take on COVID debt, let's say for your restaurant, to try and keep it afloat through the craziness and just hope you can come out the other side. So you take on all this debt because buddy says (laughs) that the interest rates are going to stay low. And then we get out of lockdowns and it's like, Oh my bad. Interest rates are actually going to go up. um, And as a percentage increase higher than I think they ever have. Um, They're not, the interest rates themselves are not at record highs. Um, not even close. You're getting close to the historical average, but never as a percentage have we increased this quickly. And so now you're sitting there with this COVID debt that you were assured, um, or this home debt that you were assured the the rates were going to stay low. Your month to month, your bills are piling up and getting larger because your mortgage payments are going up. It's like 
this is a, a rest. And I, I, the problem is, is that the, the alternative, right? When people are like, well, just don't raise rates. It's like, well, inflation is also nearing record highs, like historical record highs. It's record high for, I don't know, 10, 20 years. You, if you let that go, that's also ugly. Um, and that's ugly yeah. for the people who have the least. Um, because if you're on fixed income or you're, you have modest means, you're making 50,000 Canadian a year and you have 10% inflation, your salary is not going up to match that, not even close. And so you are getting poorer every, um, every year uh, as a result. And those are obviously the people whom you want to protect from that. Uh, we've talked, you've, you've talked about that, how inflation is a tax and it's shouldered by low-income Canadians the hardest. And so we're kind of stuck in this scenario uh, where you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. And I, to be honest, politically, I think the only person who comes out winning from this is Pierre because he's he was the one guy who in the early days was saying, hold the phone, I think we're probably overdoing it. This is going to create inflation. You can't just increase the money supply like this. And everyone thought he was crazy. And people are like, oh, yeah, well, yeah but you know there was a pandemic, right? And it's like, yeah, there was a pandemic, and now there's the possibility of a deep recession. So um, obviously something was oh, done yeah. wrong. Um, and we can go back to the archives. Um, I remember at least penning for U.S. media an article about lockdowns early on, because uh, Trump at that point was saying, no, 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 we can't do this to our economy, blah, blah, blah. We can't just keep pumping money um, because it'll create inflation. Yes. And uh, we had... Uh, the Honorable P.I. Poiliev on the show, and I believe in June 2021. And he was saying exactly the same thing he's saying today. He's saying it with more gusto now because he's proven correct. And he told the story of governments that have done this in the past. And look, the, there's only two ways out of this. You can raise those interest rates. You can try to make it more expensive for people to be showering folks with money. Or you increase production and uh, look, uh, if there's any indication by the governments in, in Ottawa or Washington, D.C., we definitely aren't going to be doing that with energy, which is the, the category that is going up the most. I did see one uh, big factoid, Dave, before we go to break. Um, one of the most expensive products that's gone up, the food professor would love this. Apparently, one of the most expensive products now that's gone up in inflation is eggs. Yep. No, we're going to have to talk about that after the break. That is true. All right. Stay, stay tuned to Consumer Choice Radio. Let's talk about eggs and how, uh, yeah, everybody's getting poorer. Good day. And we're back on Consumer Choice Radio. Sunny ways, David. Sunny ways. Welcome back <laughs> to the program. Uh, we talked about, uh, we we're talking about eggs in the last segment, talking about inflation, because I've, I've noticed in a lot of these charts, and this is um, pretty true both sides of the border, North America. Uh, when you look at where inflation has hit the hardest, um, not only in energy, apparently eggs are like super, like number two in the category. Yeah. And the, so the worst part about eggs is um, this is a government approved price hike because their eggs are in the supply management regime. And so it's essentially legal price fixing. And so their increase, eggs and dairy and all of that stuff, is like a government-sanctioned price hike. It's not just the market um, and, and general inflation. 
And that's what makes it even more irritating because, I mean, eggs are in everything. Uh, and that would be the road to hell for America. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, yeah, was, that had, Rubio, uh, was that a Rubio quote? No. Who, who was that? That would be the road to hell for America. That's Jamie Dimon. Oh, yes. Yeah, our boy. Our boy. Diamond hands Oh, no worries. I've got the, uh, I got the soundboard loaded <laughs> up uh, today. It. Let's see Paul Allen's card. Got plenty. I uh, found my old folder. So, uh, <laughs> Let's see Paul uh, Love it. So, <laughs> I don't know when to use that one exactly, but... Uh, yeah, I don't know. So the other, the other things that, that we've got going on, we talked about the UK situation, uh, what's happening with the finances there, and uh, change in the Chancellor of the Exchequer. Uh, also, what I wanted to discuss, David, is the ongoing inquiry into the, the, emergencies, Act. the emergencies Act. So let's, let's yeah. read from CBC. We'll set the stage. The public inquiry examining the federal government's use of the Emergencies Act will hear later this morning. This is... Uh, yeah, this week, how the protesters who took over Ottawa streets last winter affected those who live and work in the capital. The inquiry is reviewing the, circum- reviewing the circumstances that led up to the government's decision on February 14th, hell of a Valentine's Day, yeah. to invoke the Emergencies Act for the first time in the Act's 34-year-old history. The legislation requires that a public inquiry be held after it is invoked. So yeah. the YouTube clips are out there floating around. We've seen some of the summary um, David, as a uh, political pundit active in the Maple Leaf Republic, what do you think? I mean, <clears throat> I just hope that it's an honest assessment because I don't think that they're going to, I don't think that they really had the justification to use such extreme measures. And I say that in, in the context of the last time something comparative was used, it wasn't the same law, but it was comparative, was was Trudeau Sr. in response to the FLQ crisis, which was like legit terrorism, like mailbox bombs. They were kidnapping people. I think they killed a diplomat. I mean, that's like... No, they like, killed the, uh, one of the cabinet ministers in Quebec. Yeah, that's like a serious... That's real terrorism. That's like the, the type of extraordinary circumstances that maybe justify a rapid um, expansion of of government control. And I honestly, I just, I don't feel like they're going to, when the dust settles, if everything is done accordingly, I don't think they're going to have, I don't think the liberals come away with a solid justification for using it. Um, Because we had to clear the streets somehow. It's just not, um, that's not, in my view, a justification for such extreme measures. And all of the other, talking points have kind of fallen through right originally it was like well we heard that they were armed and then in inquiry they asked the rcmp were there any firearm charges oh no there was nothing Uh, nobody had any weapons like no one was charged it wasn't there wasn't an armed protest okay then it was oh there was that arson in an apartment building and it's like these people are lighting buildings on fire it's like okay was that person affiliated with any of this? No, no, they weren't. It was just some bozo. Okay, so that fell through. And it's like all of the pieces and all of the justifications are just slowly, um, slowly like dissolving. And if all you have left is how the convoy impacted the lives of people in Ottawa, I don't think you meet the threshold for 
um, for the Emergencies Act. And you know what? It is a bit rich to see. And this is what we saw during the protests in Ottawa. Um, people saying, well, what about the businesses who are impacted by the fact that some of these main streets are basically shut down with a giant block party? And it's like, yeah, that is bad and inconvenient and that never should have happened. But we care about the impact on businesses now? <laughs> I mean, we just spent two years not caring. Because you're so it's in like, jail. yeah. And so it, it just feels to me like a farce. So many mistakes were made in the lead up. Like they could have tried to push everyone onto the lawn uh, in front of parliament rather than in the streets. They could have started towing vehicles immediately um, and issuing those fines immediately rather than kind of waiting and seeing what it, it just seemed like an unserious government completely unprepared for a protest that they knew was coming. And they tried to score political points with all sorts of craziness, like, Ooh, where's the money coming from? It's like, well, it ended up all coming from, or mostly coming from Canadians. It wasn't some nefarious foreign funded protest. Um, and th this is the, uh, I think the, the crux of it. And because the actual, measures and the impact was very sweeping, um, particularly when you look at the, the financial measures that they allowed the banks to do and pursued people, and at least in, in the world of, of Bitcoin. Putin mm -hmm. is bad, very, very, very bad, <laughs> but he's still better than the guy who brings every conversation around to Bitcoin. I mean, they had put particular wallets you know, they put on a restricted list and anybody who touched that, you know, would have the police knocking down their door. You had people whose bank accounts were frozen. Yet all this stuff that went far beyond. And there's a lot of people who weren't even involved who got their stuff frozen. And yeah. I think the question, I think, first of all, I'm going to take a step back and say it is good in a democratic order to have this type of inquiry to revise government decisions and it's just the strangest thing that you have the parallel of this January 6th committee hearing happening in the U.S. at the same time. I don't think they can all equivalate at all. Mm -hmm. um, I think in the States, it's a bit more of a clown show and, you know, primed for midterm election stuff. Yeah. <laughs> but when it comes to this, it's good to see, and it's built into the law, that you have an inquiry where they have yeah. to basically put their cards on the table and say, okay... What justifications were they? Bop, pop, pop. All of them go away. All right, well, you exceeded authority. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, it seems that this prime minister has been able to skirt a lot of accountability on so many other issues and topics. And, um, you know, it doesn't, doesn't hurt that the media has been awash with cash. Uh, I know that that's a... Uh, maybe I'm pulling a string there, David, but... Uh, I mean... <sighs> Do I, I do I think that the media is um, beholden to the government because they get government money now, which was a, a new Trudeau policy, a horrific policy, by the way, um, that never never should have happened. Um, no, I don't. I don't think that they're beholden to the, the Trudeau government. However, it does just create terrible optics. It creates terrible optics because then all coverage is viewed with that skeptical lens of, well, okay, like how impartial is your coverage? Um, and this is some of the flack that some of the major journalists are getting, the ones who are particularly 
uh, critical of Pierre, which is fine. I mean, he's the opposition leader. He deserves criticism. But the optics are just so terrible if you are an attack dog on all of Pierre Polyev's faux pas and you've been relatively silent on any of Trudeau's uh, misgivings while also getting now the outlet that pays you gets a considerable amount of funding from the Trudeau as a result of, of Trudeau's government. And so it just creates really bad optics. And, that's, and it erodes trust. It erodes trust in media institutions too. Yeah. I mean, it sours a lot of consumer perception because it's like, oh yeah, but how do we take what you're saying at face value? And it's just, I think it's really unhealthy for for democracy not to go that, that route but I, I actually genuinely think it is it's unhealthy for democracy to blur the lines between the press and government um and then you get into like the other aspects of like what newspapers do right there's like news coverage and that kind of vital function there's investigative journalism but then there's also like opinion writing it's like, should the government fund opinion writing? No. Well, I, mean, I tell that... you what, they have not funded Consumer Choice Radio. We have awaited <laughs> the check. It has not yet uh, been issued nor cleared. So until then... Yeah. Welcome to Thunderdome. Yeah, it's going to be all criticism all the time. <laughs> uh, but, you know, it's, it's just, it's very ironic. There are all these very important issues that are happening at the moment. Uh, there's inflation. We've got this energy crisis. And uh, it seems that the Liberal Party... Um, of which they, they have the sort of uh, upper hand in the coalition that rules the Canadian provinces and territories. Um, they're more fixated on YouTube tags, David, oh, than they are uh, actual policies. And um, it's on and on. And I don't know if it's just the algos, the algorithms that are highlighting that even more, or it just seems that this is pretty much their only, this is their only retort to anything that's happening right now is like, but did you see those YouTube tags? Yeah, did you see the YouTube tags from like five years ago? And it's, I mean, again, it's one of those things where it's a bit of the pot calling the kettle black, um, which we saw in the House of Commons in the exchange between Trudeau and, and Polyev, because he was like, yeah, you look, I condemn that stuff. It was a mistake. It's been mo removed. Um, just like, I hope you condemn blackface. <laughs> and it's like, oh, yeah, I remember that remember um, all of those faux pas. And it's like, it's hard to take that criticism at face value from Trudeau himself when his record is so tarnished. Um, yeah. And there's so many, I mean, the issue of energy, we could talk about that more um, in the next segment. I mean, that's one that's just particularly bad for uh, Canadians across the board. It's bad for the Canadian dollar. Mm -hmm. It's bad for the economy. It's it's bad for, for many different things. Uh, but I wanted to get your take quickly because uh, we have a little bit of time. Uh, Danielle Smith, yeah. brand new premier of the province of Alberta, um, someone that you have, you've been on her program? Yeah. Program. I, 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 she has always been good to me and I, li I like her. Um, I like her personally, but she started off on a pretty tough, <laughs> a pretty tough foot. Um, and for those who maybe didn't see it, um, she had held a press conference and she had said that the uh, the vaccinated were um, <laughs> the vaccinated were 
the most discriminated against group she's seen in her lifetime. Uh, she is 51. Um, so that is obviously not true. Um, residential schools still operated in Alberta while she was alive. The last one closed in 1990. Um, certainly those parents who had their children taken from them uh, were more discriminated against than the unvaccinated. Um, it's just a real like faux pas. Like, I would say it, um, Brian, uh, Bregu, I think it's Breguet, yeah. too close to call. Yeah. So he made the point that I think is important is that it is now, however, through her rhetorical faux pas or il fallait, uh, to use the French term, uh, Basically, everyone has agreed that they were discriminated against, people who did not get vaccines. Yeah. And it is now taken at, at face value, and it's not this kind of, well, it's a public health emergency thing, which I, I think is um, obviously not her intention, but changes the framing a little bit. Because uh, can you still get on a Greyhound bus, by the way, if you don't have your vax? Yeah, that's all gone. All gone now? Yeah. Just yeah. recently. Okay. Yeah. But I mean, time. the removal of the rules, it, people aren't just going to forget that they existed. And I think as time has gone on, some of it, it just people see it for the it was theater. A lot of I mean, some of it was very legitimate. And I was on TV and I got some flack at the time <clears throat> when they had a, a mandate for healthcare workers and those working in senior homes. And I'm like, wow, I mean. Yeah, I, I think that that makes a lot of sense. I mean, <laughs> these are the people who need protecting. If you're treating cancer patient, patients, the last thing they need is dealing with COVID. But uh, a lot of it has become theater, and I think people are kind of seeing that now, and that's where the frustration comes from. All right, more to come here, Consumer Choice Radio. And welcome back to Consumer Choice Radio. David uh, wanted to talk about energy stuff. Uh, looks like um, our dear old Uncle Joe is uh, locking horns with the Saudis. Uh, just um, this has to do with the OPEC Plus, which we talked about last week. You guys can go to ConsumerChoiceRadio.com, listen to our last conversation. Uh, but there's a great article in the Wall Street Journal. Um, this is an opinion article that is written by a fellow at the Harvard Belfer Center Middle East Initiative and a senior fellow at the Hudson Institute. The uh, headline here, Biden scapegoats the Saudis for an energy crisis he created. And then the subhead, which I love. There's an easy way for America to prevent another shock in world markets. Produce more oil. Absolutely. Now. Prime now. Yeah. Prime now, baby. Uh, definitely this is... The, the takeaway from all of this, and it's just so sad to see that there's this narrative that's built up. It's like, well, the only reason that stuff is, is so sucky is just because those, those guys in the desert, you know, did not agree to, to pump out more oil. It's like, hello, we have it within the capacity, not just in the U.S., but in Canada to produce everything we need. You're sitting on it. Just... And you're just sitting on it to try to, to please the same people who you know, threw a, a can of tomato soup at a Van Gogh painting. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I mean, it's crazy. Um, real quick, just because you brought that up, because it seems to be a trend in BC, people like super gluing themselves to highways and stuff. Oh, if we're, yeah. If we're, if we're going to justify the Emergencies Act, you you got to start using those measures across the board. 
And you got to start because you'd be in jail. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah. You got to start using those measures. And I don't like that. I don't, I don't want the government to just become very heavy handed in terms of um, protests. But if you are, you got to be, you got to be an equal opportunity tyrant here. Um, and I, I hate to be the um, what aboutism here, but you know, you remember during the protests in Canada over the pipelines. Oh, right? I that mean, was yeah, sort of the crisis of the train tracks and everyone was like, "Hey, you need some help here. We got, yeah. you know, we're trying to move this stuff. Critical and they, infrastructure. And they, it was, it was essential. It was, it was everything the convoy did at the bridges, which they never should have done, and they should have been arrested as soon as um, the trucks were in park." Uh, the border bridges I'm talking about. Um, it's everything they did at the bridges. And people are talking about the economic cost of that, totally legitimate, the inconvenience, everything, just disrupting supply chains, all of the negatives that happened because of that. And yet it's like, well, they kind of took a playbook out of the greenie um, protest book of blocking up critical infrastructure, roads, bridges, doing all sorts of disruptive stuff. And it's like, okay, well, if, if the heavy hand of the law is the new norm, well, there are lots of targets to crack down on. I mean, I don't see, like, are we freezing Greenpeace activists, bank accounts? I don't think so. Uh, no. But, yeah, uh, not good. Not good. And um, I believe for the bridge clearing, I heard this in the inquiry, you know, they were able to clear that before the Emergency Act was even invoked. Yeah, it was still used as yeah. a main uh, sort of reason to do it. It's like, well, you know, they did block that bridge. Well, the bridge is empty now. Yeah, but yeah, but they, they did, did it. it. Yeah, let's see, Paul Yeah, and uh, so so back to to Joe Biden. It, yeah. it's just this this delusion that is built mostly in in very rich countries that have a lot of energy, like countries that we come from, David, where we have all of this stuff, yet we don't want to pump it out of the ground because we don't want to. Um, offend the climate gods um, that were ordained by the Paris uh, Climate Accords. Mm -hmm. And I find this, we're in a time of crisis. And you, this is not the time to listen to people who super glue their hands on the road. It just isn't. And particularly when we look at all the issues, all the different areas where people are going to be paying more. And look, we're only in October. Once it really starts dipping down below zero, once it starts getting really cold, once people are in Europe having to, like in France, being mandated to turn down their, yeah. uh, their heating to a particular degree level, uh, you know, I'm surprised that we don't have more, forgive the term, insurrection. We don't have more people who are protesting. We don't have more people who are being like, hey, look, there's all this energy that's plentiful and it's there. Yep. Why are we for a lofty goal attempting to just make ourselves miserable yeah why are we shooting and ourselves then, in the foot yeah and then you have people like and i played this clip last week um this is uh representative taleb this is exactly the people who are making this argument new fossil fuel production starting today that's so that's like zero so i would like to ask that's what they want zero yeah. zero oil and gas investment zero of I'm sorry, I don't know what your car's built on or what it uses, but mine oh. needs oil, needs gasoline, and it needs to get pumping now. And uh, David, I just saw yesterday, I was looking at the price, it hit 190 euros per liter. Oh. So it's creeping back up into Crushing. very high territory. Crushed.
Yeah, I think it's like 165 Canadian a liter, which is peanuts in comparison to what you're. Saying. Is that like is that three three U.S. dollaroos? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. No, I don't know. I know that's uh, five cents U.S. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, no, it's good. getting bad. We that's, um, th- that's very worrying. I I sincerely hope that this is a time of logic, mm-hmm. and we can we can kind of turn down the passions because. We cannot fight climate change if we're all frozen to death. Yeah. No, of course. Of course. Um, before before we go, I do want to dip a little bit into the rumor mill. Um, all right. We got a couple you. rumors here. Yeah, Hold on. Um, let's play the, uh, the rumor mill. Um, what do we got here? All right. Start us off with the rumor <laughs> mill. <laughs> um, so, I mean, this is all, all public. Um, our friend of the show... Nathaniel Erskine Smith is kicking the tires, um, is kicking the tires on running for provincial leader of the Ontario Liberal Party. Um, I'm super excited about that because he's always been a real honest broker, um, even on issues where you disagree. He's not the uh, <clears throat> he's not the showman that we see in liberal caucus right now where everything is like the grandiose talking points and the gotcha moments. He's actually a pretty serious dude. I mean, I remember before the election uh, against O'Toole, he basically said, look, like O'Toole's a good guy. I actually think that he's, he's a good guy. He's put together a pretty respectable platform. Here's why I think ours is better. Um, He's certainly not this evil monster, but I think if the choice is between the two, I think our platform is better for Canada. And I mean, just in seeing that in today's political climate, I was like, oh, okay, this guy is a serious, he's a serious person. He thinks about issues and consequences and all that, even where we disagree on, on policy. And so to, to see the, the news articles uh, come across my desk now that, that he's kicking the tires is really interesting to see a, a, a Nathaniel Erskine Smith versus Doug Ford um, potential provincial election next time around um well and uh, quite interesting he'll have he'll have a high uh, hill to climb because uh, i believe it's the ndp there in opposition correct um, yeah he has to so basically if, rebuild. if you were to spell it out if you were to spell it on ontario politics which are really interesting mm-hmm. <laughs> uh what is the main difference in ideology between let's say the liberal party and the progressive conservative so, and how does it relate to the federal level? Yeah, so the Liberal Party in Ontario, I would say, is probably more centrist. The reason why they're not popular at the moment is because they were in government for so long, and they really did a lot of things that drove people nuts. Um, and they were just incredibly unpopular when Wynne lost. I mean, she went from a majority government to um, enough, barely enough seats to fit in a minivan, um, and the NDP kind of filled the vacuum for folks on the left. So it's, it's not that, um, that, that the, the party itself is, is unsalvageable. It's just that between McGinty and Wynn, they were just so unpopular that there was, there was no avenue for them to win at all, um, which is why having someone come in who has no association with those years, uh, the McGinty-Wynn years, is, is probably a positive. Um, so I think it's an opportunity probably for, um, especially with, with Erskine Smith, to bring in 
to kind of build a center coalition, both left and right. So people who went to the NDP, but don't aren't necessarily like the uber progressives, but also some of your center right folks who look at some of the Ford stuff and roll their eyes and feel that there's a, lo a level of unseriousness. Um, so I think that there's an avenue there. It's a tough hill to climb because you're going against um, Doug Ford, who appears to be a, a very good campaigner, um, getting consecutive majorities. Um, but I mean, I think it's regardless of whatever the outcome of the next election is to have an adult in the room um, steering the ship of the other party um, that has ever formed government uh, in the last 20 years um, is a positive. So we'll see how that there goes. Go. Maybe we're going to have him back on to talk about what his vision is. If he, if he does pull the trigger and end up running. Awesome. Yeah. That would be very good to see a little bit of upper Canada politics for you guys. Oh. <laughs> upper Canada. Um, so I, I wanted to talk about something that seems to be a popular idea in the economic neoliberal circles. Ooh. And uh, that is the idea of price controls and hard rationing. Now, I'm mentioning this. There was a uh, Substack post yeah. by Matthew Iglesias, um, who um, I think falls into the ideological line of the new school of neoliberalism. Yep. Um, sort of making the case that we're in an, sort of a, we're in a crisis situation. And, you know, there's all kinds of things you could do to... Uh, subsidize. There's all kinds of things you could do with, you know, trying to get markets up to speed. It's not quick enough. Uh, the best thing for us to do right now is to have price controls on things like natural gas, and we need to be rationing it uh, so that, you know, we have a limited supply that we're able to hand out to people that people are able to have access on. Um, yeah, it just sounds great as somebody it's, who's uh, living in this area and will yeah, have to suffer. That's going to be a no for me, Doug. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know what's going on here. Um, well, I don't I don't understand, nor do I like the idea, and I think it, it's, it relates to COVID, David. We have like a set of ideas and known truths, uh, particularly in economics. When there's a crisis situation, does all of that have to go out the window? Yeah, I mean, the price controls and, and, um, and all of that stuff just further exacerbates scarcity. And so, yes, you will tame prices but you will significantly limit availability. So you'll have a wholesale situation where um, like in California, you have rolling brownouts. Um, I mean, the weather right now is 10 degrees where I am. Uh, when it gets to minus 15, can you have rolling brownouts? And, and no, you can't, you can't. People, people literally die. Um, I mean, the inverse is true in the summer. We see this in Europe um, where they don't have air conditioning, where like a bad heat wave kills a couple hundred people um, just because they don't have the climate control in, in their apartments. Um, and, and pretty so, old apartments. So, we, yeah. we, you know, windows not insulated, all this kind of stuff. Yeah. And so you're so, like, you yeah, can't, you can't this do idea, it. This idea is offensive, but it is not as bad as the economic mantra pushed out there of greedflation. Oh, God, uh, I know. We, we see this a lot with the uh, NDP at the federal level. You know, the only reason that you're facing inflation and your dollar is worth less is because the evil, you know, grocery store 
uh, cigar chomping bosses yeah. are just raising the price on cereal just because they want to screw you. That's it. Oh, God. I know. I mean, and uh, Sylvain Chalbois has, has tweeted about this a little bit. He's the, definitely the go-to expert on food. And he's just been like, um, I'm not so sure that's the case. I mean, there's not necessarily a lot of evidence for it. I mean, we, we should really have him back on the program to talk about yeah. this and be like, is it, is it really greedflation? Are they just greedy? Um, and, and their profit margins are not like this is not the most lucrative industry that you can go in. They have the worst margins. They, I mean, and, like three, four, five percent. It's not very good. I think that that's kind of what it is. And um, in a time of inflation, we get a lot of radical, crazy ideas, some of which are pretty violent or some of which are just plain dumb. And uh, I think I, I would put them in that category, David. Yes, absolutely. Right now. Exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, thank you guys for uh, listening to Consumer Choice Radio. Plenty more to come for next week. Uh, A lot more shenanigans. David, I'll talk to you then. Until then.